Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Calvary Live, and I am your host for today's show. I am Jeff Figgs. I pastor Calvary Chapel Greeley in northern Colorado, and I'm here to take your questions. Perhaps you got a question about uh, your Bible reading that has come up, or maybe you heard a teaching, you want some clarity and understanding. Uh, Let's go to God's Word together and see what the Word of God declares, and uh, as we go to God's Word for wisdom and for clarity and for wisdom. Maybe you got a question about Christian living. Give me a call. You just heard the number 303-690-3000. Calvary Live is the call-in program where you, the listener, get to call in and ask questions. And also, we are taking your prayer requests. So I'd love to be able to pray with you and for you. And uh, so call in as we end the week here, uh, uh, work week for most of us, a lot of us. And we want to be a blessing to you this afternoon for and this evening for the next hour and uh, to encourage you any way that we can. So give me a call, 303-690-3000. There is a dedicated text line, as most of you know, and that number is 720-336-0897, and that is for texting only. Make sure that you are able to do that safely. And you can text in a question or a prayer request, and we want to be able to do that. So uh, also, um, I just want to welcome all the Grace FM listeners along the Front Range in Colorado. Got a beautiful sunny day after we've had some snow this week. And so uh, it's good to get the moisture. We needed it. And so everybody drive safe out there as you're heading home, perhaps, uh, as you're picking up kids from school and uh, and getting ready for the weekend. You are listening live. I also want to welcome all the Hope FM listeners and Truth FM on the East Coast, uh, those of you out there in Pennsylvania and New Jersey and and also in Maryland and Kentucky and North Carolina. And, and uh, we're so blessed that we can be a part of your lives. And you are a week delayed as you are listening to Calvary Live. So you can call in at that number, 303-690-3000, They will answer the phone, we will have a conversation, and then you'll be able to listen to it next week, unless, of course, you're listening online. And some of you have been doing that, and that's uh, been such a blessing to hear the online listeners that are calling in in anywhere in the country. Uh, You can call at that number, 303-690-3000, and the lines are open. Grab one of those open lines, uh, and if you can do that early in the show, it's easier to get on and uh, to be able to uh, ask your questions or give your prayer requests. So uh, looking forward to what the Lord has for us today. Also, I just want to say as we're waiting for the phone lines um, to begin to ring and, and for the callers to come in, I just got back 
a couple hours ago from a pastor's breakfast down at Calvary Church in Aurora with Pastor Ed and some of the other uh, pastors in the area and Calvary Chapel pastors in Colorado. And so blessed to, to be with the guys uh, and so thank you, thank you, Pastor Ed, uh, for inviting us and for the staff at Calvary Church there in Aurora for just serving us and, and also to be able to listen to Bill Gallagher, who came out from Florida. He's a Calvary Chapel pastor uh, for many years, and uh, it's the first time I've heard him speak, and it was a blessing to meet him, to hear him, to be encouraged by him. And so it's so good uh, to have these times where we can be refreshed and renewed in the things of the Lord. So uh, thank you, Pastor Ed, for having that. I just want to encourage you as I think about these things. I was thinking about how um, family is so important. Uh, The Scripture says in Psalm 133 how good it is and pleasant for the brethren to dwell together in unity. And I am so blessed by my family, my wife Sue of nearly uh, 30 years, be 29 years, and my four kids and uh, my brother John, who's been serving here at the church, and my sister, who's serving up at a Calvary Chapel in Idaho. I'm so blessed by my family. Uh, the blessings of the Lord were not a perfect family, uh, and but uh, the Lord has been so good to us. And I'm sure that many of you that are listening, that you're thankful for your children, your grandchildren, your family, Family is so, so important. I know that my family is a priority to me. But also, I feel very blessed to be a part of this church family here in Greeley, at Calvary Greeley. Um, we are entering uh, our 23rd year of ministry uh, here for 23 years. Matter of fact, 23 years ago this month, uh, my wife and I moved up, uh, and we just started a home fellowship knew nothing about nothing about starting a church, and we've just watched the Lord just work in a very wonderful way, and it's been a privilege to be a part of that, to see what he has done. And I I love my Calvary Chapel family. I see it as a very much of a privilege to pastor this church, to be a part of this church, the relationships that have been made, um, new family members coming to get to know them, to watch children grow up in these 20-plus years to become adults, and they're starting to have children. Uh, It just is overwhelming when I think about it. But one of the things also I'm very, very blessed about is my fellow pastors uh, that I've known for years that are still pastoring, that are, you know, on the front lines of ministry, to be a part of the family of Calvary Chapel pastors. And I just thank you guys for coming. I appreciate you all. And uh, and uh, it was good to see you. Looking forward to seeing you again soon. And uh, we'll keep fighting the good fight. I want to encourage you that the Lord uh, wants to continue to use us and, and all those, uh, not just in the Calvary Chapel, but friends that I have here in this area that I know. I just so appreciate you and see it as a privilege to be part of the, um, that family as well. So I uh, just want to encourage you in that way. Hey, Give us a call. We got an open line, 303 690 3000. Let's go ahead and go to Christopher in Denver. Christopher? Yes. Yes, Pastor. How are Thank you? you for taking my call. You bet. Uh, my question I'm, I, was look, I was hoping you would expound on I've been looking at um, uh, Jesus' words in, in John 10, where he's referencing um, uh, words in the beginning of uh, Psalms 82, talking about 
Um, and, and when I was looking at Bible commentary, the Psalms 82, where it, what it says they are gods, it's referencing um, the time when there was judges um, and the idea that they had representative or, or a sacred office, and so the people considered them to be gods. I was hoping that you could expound on that, because I know a lot of people in New Age teachings and cults like to translate that otherwise. Yeah, what uh, what they is Jesus is talking to them, and I'm going to go to Psalm 82 and take a look at that as I pull it up, um, but uh, Jesus talks about the judges, you call them gods, and that's really what a reference it is to. It's not a reference that they're any kind of deity or anything like that. Um, that would be a false uh, interpretation of that. Um, but let me read it, Psalm 80. Let me pull it up, and so we can read it for the sake of our listeners here. Uh, but in that psalm, going through it, um, that we know that Asaph, writing that psalm, he, he's dealing with kind of the judges of the land, um, and he's talking to them uh, uh, about, you know, um, you know, justice and all that. So um, it's a reference to the judges that are there, and it's a reference to them how um, they were to judge according to the Lord. So Jesus comes along, and you said John chapter 10 is the reference that you're giving? Yes, it's um, around verse 30. He makes reference to, um, does it not say in the law that you are God's? And I've heard... Uh, certain cult leaders reference that as justification for um, afterlife godhood. Yeah, and and it's it's not, and I I don't I'm having a hard time finding it in John chapter ten. I know in the Synoptic Gospels that he is you know <coughs> talking about that. He's talking about how um, you know uh, um, that a reference to God's. But it is a reference to judges. It was a reference to, in its small case, G, um, to the judges that came along. And they, you know, because the sentence that they would give uh, was uh, a sentence that could take somebody's life um, if they render a, a judgment of, you know, that person is to be stoned or put to death, and of course, according to the law. So it is a reference to the Old Testament. It's a reference to judges, and it's a reference to, to them um, in the authority that they had. But it's not talking about deity. It's not talking about New Age kinds of stuff. The other thing, too, Christopher, I'm thinking of, um, because I'm kind of thinking at the top of my head, uh, another reference that the New Age people kind of come along to is um, in Romans chapter 8. And I think some of the same ideas is given there um, about the manifested sons of gods when it's talking about um, for the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. They, too, will yeah. take that term, and they will say, well, you know, um, there's a new doctrine that's gaining popularity in the Church today, the uh, N-A-R, not the N-R-A, but the N-A-R is the New Apostolic Reformation, where they believe that super-apostles and prophets are coming on the scene, and um, it used it's very similar to what was called the manifested sons of God back in the 90s 
um, that came out of Kansas City, Super Apostles and Prophets, and essentially they have authority in the church. They have more authority than the pastor teacher, and that uh, they're going to come with revelation, they're going to come with um, power, and you know there's going to be mass healings, and essentially Christianity is going to take over the world uh, is what um, the thinking is and uh, what the doctrine holds to, and then usher in the second coming. There's nothing in the Bible that declares that at all. So, you know, the reference to, you know, Psalm 82 um, about um, the gods is talking about judges, and um, and then also uh, when Jesus makes that reference, is talking to them, but it's not talking about deity at all. Oh, thank you for your time. You bet. Thanks for your um, And let me read it to you. I think I just found it. God stands in the congregation, Psalm 82, of the mighty. He judges among the gods, little g, and that word translated um, could be judges in the Hebrew. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? So he's definitely talking about, uh, at a time, Asaph, he's talking about a time where they weren't judging according to the word. And that was a problem. And Asaph, even as he writes Psalm 73 about you know, how's the wicked getting away with stuff? So the judges were a part of that. So definitely talking about them, not about deity at all. So um, we we need to always look at Scripture and let Scripture interpret Scripture. So, hey, thanks for your question. Okay. It's a good question. Thank you. Okay, okay. you bet. All right, when somebody hangs up, we got a, 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 another line that is, um, you know, open. And so um, it is... Uh, something that uh, you want to be able to do and grab and uh, be able to uh, get on the phone with us, 303-690-3000. You're listening to Calvary Live with Pastor Jeff Figs. So with your questions, I'd like to bring clarity as much as I can and to also uh, take your prayer requests. Let's go to George in Greeley. George? Yes, hi. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you, Pastor Jeff? I'm doing good, George. Good. Um, my question has to do with the Great Tribulation. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard a pastor say that the only way to get to heaven during the Great Tribulation is to be beheaded. Where did he find that? Where can I find that in Scripture? Well, it's not the only way to get to heaven in the Great Tribulation. We do know that in the Great Tribulation period, and that is talked about in chapters 6 through 19 of the book of Revelation, that it does talk about that there are going to be those who are going to be martyred. Uh, right. We know that uh, in chapter 6, the fifth seal, uh, and they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And a white robe was given to them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer till both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were, was completed. Uh, We know in chapter 7 the result of the 144,000 Jews uh, that are going to be sealed by God. They are literal Jews, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. They are going to have a ministry of evangelism, and we know that because John is asked by one of the elders, who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And it's interesting that he said to him, Sir, you know, 
And these are ones that come out of the great tribulation, washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So those are the tribulation saints. Um, I think if it was the church, John would have recognized them. But he doesn't know who they are. And so we do know that Christians are going to be uh, persecuted very heavily by the Antichrist by the time that you get the chapter 12 of the book of Revelation, as in the middle of the the tribulation period, uh, chapters 11, 12, and 13 of the book of Revelation, very significant things happen. Uh, that is the, the witnesses, the two witnesses, uh, their ministry is over. We know that um, the Antichrist will go into the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. He will proclaim himself as God to be worshipped as God, uh, as Second Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us. And then we know that he, will, as he proclaims himself as God, that the world's going to turn to him and begin to worship him. He will probably at that time destroy the false church that is on the scene, because Revelation chapter 17 talks about how the, the woman rides the beast, the beast being the Antichrist, the woman being the false church. At first, the Antichrist supports that false church, but then turns and destroys it. And the Antichrist at that time, in the middle of the tribulation period, is going to command the world to worship him. He is under the authority, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us, also uh, Revelation chapters 12 and 13, that he is under the power of, of Satan himself. And what is something that Satan has always wanted? He's, you know, George always wanted to be worshipped. So right, at right. that time, those who do not give their allegiance to the Antichrist or take the mark of the Antichrist are going to be martyred. Now, whether every single you know, tribulation saint, because chapter 7 is going to be a great multitude that's going to come and be saved from every tribe, tongues, peoples, and nations. And there is, in chapter 14, I I think uh, the angel that makes a proclamation that if you take the mark of the beast, you will not be saved. You cannot be saved. So there's a warning there. But it does not say that every single tribulation saint is going to be martyred. We do know at the end of the tribulation period, when Jesus Christ comes back, that um, that he will uh, establish his kingdom, and those who you know survive the tribulation period, um, the Jews that come and recognize that Jesus is their Messiah, as he restores the nation of Israel, the tribulation saints, they will go into the millennium reign, and they will continue on. So um, it, it's 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 a lot of them are going to be martyred, um, right. but the, but those who make it through the tribulation period, um, you know, they're going to go into the millennium reign. So oh, I'm not good. quite okay. sure what he he was saying um, okay. in that. Yeah, and and okay, they will. Good. They will populate the world then um, yes. in the millennium reign. And um, so it is going to be difficult. There's some hint, George, in the book of Zechariah that two out of every three Jews are going to be killed in the tribulation period. Um, Zechariah chapter 14 gives that indication. Um, and you can read that. So some suspect that's what's being said. As far as Christians, yes, many of them are going to, who do not take the mark of the beast, um, are going to be beheaded. 
and and many of them are going to be martyred for their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Um, but are there going to be some that are going to make it to the end? Um, you know, those who do, if they do, um, they will be able to move on into the millennium reign. Does that help? Good. Yes, that helps a lot. Thank you, Pastor. Hey, you bet, George. Hey, George. Yes. Um, I don't. I don't know. We're doing a study on the Book of Revelation on Wednesday nights, and we really? just finished. Yeah, we just finished chapter one. So that might be something that you know, if you can't make it Wednesday nights here in Greeley, that um, you can listen to online on our website, CalvaryChapelGreeley.com, and uh, to be able to. Uh, listen to those Bible studies, and um, and I think it'll bring a lot of clarity to you. Okay. Okay. Good. Yes, I live in Greeley, so I'll try to make it. We're easy to find. You know where Texas Roadhouse is. Yes, I do. Everybody knows where Texas Roadhouse <laughs> is in <Yeah>. Greeley. <laughs> we're, okay. we're we're just we're just three blocks west of okay. Texas Roadhouse. So yeah, easy to find. Love to meet you. Say hello to you. And come out and Wednesday night seven o'clock. So, Great. hey, good Thanks, question, Pastor. George. Okay, you bet. You. God bless. You bet. God bless you. Good questions. You know, there's a lot of confusion about the last days, and uh, it's a wonderful study. Wednesday nights, the Book of Revelation place is is full, and um, and I'd love to have you come out. The Book of Revelation, listen, was meant to be studied. It was meant to be studied, and a lot of churches avoid it, a lot of pastors avoid it, but there's attached a very unique, special blessing for those who read the words, hear the words, and keep the words in it. So come out and join us if you come, if you're up in the Greeley area. Well, let's continue on. Uh, We got somebody else from Northern Colorado, Scott from Severance. Scott? Good afternoon, Pastor Jeff. How are you? I am wonderful. Thank you so much for taking my call. You bet, absolutely. I'm uh, I'm kind of new to Bible study, and the other day I started reading in the book of Mark, and he opens with uh, John the Baptist. And uh-huh. I was reading, and he says, I baptize with water, and the one that comes after me will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Um, I kind of got sidetracked relatively quickly, because there was a little reference to a letter from Paul that talked about, and and I don't remember what what book and verse it was, but he had written uh, and met with uh, a group that had been baptized by John the Baptist, um, but they did not feel the Holy Spirit upon them. Paul rebaptized them in the name of the Holy Spirit, and they immediately started speaking in tongues and and prophesizing. Um, And it leads me to the question, I was baptized when I was but one year old. Um, I know in my life I have felt the presence of the Holy Spirit, but not, you know, I I don't prophesize, I don't uh, speak in tongues, um, and right. it got me to wondering how I can strengthen the Holy Spirit in me, or uh, what can lead me to inviting the Holy Spirit inside of me more. You know, I think you, you're asking a very, very good question, Scott. I think a very important question. When John was out there in the wilderness, and the, the whole nation was coming out, it tells us that he had a baptism of repentance— 
In other words, he prepared the way for the Messiah to come, Jesus. They came and they asked him, are, are you Elijah? He said, no. Um, are you the Messiah? No. I'm a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way. And when Jesus showed up, he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, is what it was. Um, that there needs to be repentance, um, and the message of Jesus when he came on the scene, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, when you go to Acts chapter 19, it's interesting that there was a group there that Paul would um, would find. He's, he's in Ephesus, um, and um, he, he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. So John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, um, not necessarily faith unto salvation. So probably what happened is some of the disciples of John, their ministry still had influence on people, so Paul begins to bring to them the fuller gospel message that that Jesus Christ is the one that came and died for your sins, even as John proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So now they were baptized unto Christ. The, the water baptism was a sign of an inward belief, and that's what baptism is about. And in every case that we see a baptism, you know, in the Scriptures, in the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 8, for example, um, you know, in Acts chapter 2, the believers, is it is a declaration that I've come to Christ in faith. It is not necessary for salvation. Now, there will be people that argue with that, but to keep in mind, very, very important that we cannot earn salvation. Salvation comes by faith alone, and it comes by surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ, recognizing that we need to be forgiven of sin. And once we do that, Romans chapter 6 says we identify with Christ in this newness of life, that when we, we go under the water, it symbolizes the old man, the old woman being dead. My sins are buried, and coming out of the water, then I... It symbolizes that new newness of life, that resurrected life that I now live in Christ. So it's a proclamation that I am a believer. It's an important uh, part of a, a believer's life, but it does not bring salvation. It declares that I am saved. It's an outward expression of an inward belief that I have in my heart. So that's why we're going to have a baptism on Sunday here at Calvary Chapel Greeley, and it is, we make sure that they understand it is for the person who has come to faith in Jesus Christ, even as Philip, when he was talking to the Ethiopian eunuch, that he would say to him that, you know, uh, the eunuch said, what prohibits me from being baptized? Philip said, nothing does, as long as you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and so he was baptized. Now you ask the secondary question, Scott, and and we may be going to a break here in just a little bit. So if I don't finish, you know, we'll we'll come back at the other side of the break. But but the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life, and and it's very important because um, now that we're saved, 
Christ dwells in our hearts is is one of Paul's favorite sayings. Uh, The book of Ephesians, Christ dwells in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is in us. But we also know from Acts chapter 1 that it was Jesus that said to his disciples that, that wait here in Jerusalem for the coming, for the promise of the Father, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, epi in the Greek, to give you the power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, um, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So there's an empowering of the Holy Spirit that give us the power to be a witness, not just go out and witness, but a power to live for Christ, to be a witness. So there's that, that word to empower you, it's deutomos, where we get our word dynamite is what it is. So we're getting ready to go to break. So, so Scott, um, when we get back on the other side of the break, if you can hang on, I'm going to okay. complete my thought, and then hopefully it'll help you. So we'll be right back. You're listening to Calvary Live, and we're going to go to break. And stay tuned. We'll be right back in about 90 seconds. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Welcome back to the second half of Calvary Live. This is Jeff Biggs of Calvary Chapel Greeley, taking your calls and your questions. 303-690-3000 is the number to call. That text line is 720-336-0897. As we head to the top of the hour, if we got some time, we'll go to those text questions. Scott, are you still with us here on the show? Um, good. You there, Scott? So Scott was asking a question about the baptism of John and then also about the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And as I was explaining to Scott before we went to break, that in Acts chapter 1, Jesus talks about the coming upon of the Holy Spirit. And the coming upon of the Holy Spirit, people ask, how do you get that? What is the evidence of it? And I think that Jesus answers that question, Scott, he said in Luke's Gospel that how many of you, being a father, if your son asks for uh, a bread, will you give him a stone? Uh, of course not. And he said that your Heavenly Father, who is good, how much more he will give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And I think that we just simply ask, Lord, I need and I desire to be filled, to be baptized, whatever you, you want to call it, the coming upon to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the Father is we just come in faith and ask. I believe he's going to give it to us. And um, it's important for us to go to the Lord, to be filled with the Spirit of God, um, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is the evidence that the Holy Spirit has come upon us? In the book of Acts, you see that at times when the Holy Spirit came upon them, that they spoke in tongues. And there are those with the doctrine that say, well, the evidence of the Holy Spirit coming upon you, baptism is speaking in tongues. Listen, the evidence of the Spirit is love. And Paul makes that very, very clear. Because when you study 1 Corinthians chapters 12, particularly, he talks about the gifts of the Spirit, and he says, do all prophesy, do all speak in tongues? He, the answer, obviously, is no. And he gives those gifts 
according to who he wills. God gives those gifts to who he wills. So the evidence of of the Holy Spirit empowering us is love. That's the greatest gift of all. The fruit of the Spirit is love, Galatians says. And it's interesting that that word fruit is singular there in the Greek, and it consists of gentleness, um, you know, kindness, um, long-suffering. Those are the results of love. But love is the greatest gift that we can have. So I think just coming and asking the Lord, Lord, you know, um, as Jesus said, that if we ask for the Holy Spirit, the, the Father will give us the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So does that help? Yes, yes. It, it, it gives me some good insight. I greatly appreciate it. Make sure, Scott, that you don't get duped into thinking, well, I don't speak in tongues, because I've talked to a lot of Christians. They want to serve the Lord. They want to live for the Lord. They want more of the Lord. And they think, I don't speak in tongues. And I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I, I believe in the validity of the gifts that they are for today. There's nothing in Scripture that has convinced me that those gifts are no longer around. Um, and tongues is uh, is um, a man speaking to God. First Corinthians chapter 14, very clear, the praises of God, the adoration of God. And, you know, it's wonderful when he gives that gift, you know, to give that prayer language. But he doesn't give it to everyone. He gives to those according to he... Uh, as he wills. And there are those who say, well, you don't have the Holy Spirit unless you're speaking in tongues, and they'll try to manipulate, and you just got to speak and start jabbering and all of this. And people come away discouraged. They have a bad experience and all of this. Listen, just go to the Lord and say, Lord, I want more of you. Holy Spirit, I want you. Father, give me, empower me, fill me with the Holy Spirit. And that's a continual prayer for me, and I just receive it by faith. And I know that the Lord is working in my life. Anything good is when I'm doing things out of love for him. The fruit of the Spirit is love. So keep things in perspective. And if you ask for it, you can ask for the gift of tongues. There's nothing wrong with that. Lord, I, I want that. But if he doesn't give it to you, it doesn't mean that you're a second-rate Christian, that you're going to be a weak Christian. It just means that God's will is that you don't have that gift. I I, I understand. i I know I've felt the presence of the Holy Spirit, and it's mostly in smaller things, and it's it's usually in the back of my mind when, oh, I should do this or should do that, um, and and I like that feeling, and I would like to have more of it. So that's what I'm right. searching for. Yeah, just ask the Lord. He wants us to have more of Him, and and I need the empowering of the Holy Spirit, and I just receive it. And um, and Lord, I'm going to walk in it, and um, and thank you for giving me the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. So, hey, thank you. Thank you. You bet, Scott. Thanks for calling. Good question. Very good question. Okay, three zero three six nine zero three thousand. When somebody hangs up, there's an open line. Let's go to Liz in Denver. Liz, or is it James? Let's go to James in Boulder. Hi. Hi, uh, good afternoon, Hi. Pastor. How you doing, James? Better now that I'm here with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope to be a blessing and be a help. Oh, you guys are awesome. I listen to you all the time. You guys uh, really do uh, make my day go by. I, pre- I really appreciate you guys. 
That's good. Uh, it's a privilege a, to do it. Oh, I, uh, thank you. Yeah, um, I, I just had a question for you, um, um, and uh, it goes like this. I, I, I know we have uh, four main Gospels, uh, Matthew, uh, Mark, Luke, and John, um, and um, uh, I know that there are other Gospels that aren't in the Bible. Um, are those still a part of God and Jesus' message, um, or in better words, are those Gospels uh, still inspired by God, even though they're not in the main Bible um, that I have been brought up on? Yeah. Well, there, you know, part of the question that people ask is, you know, how did the New Testament, and I think that's what you're focused on, is the New Testament canon of Scripture, um, how were they considered, and um, how did the early church know which books belong in the Bible? And there were certain criterias for that. Um, they Was the book written or backed by a prophet or apostle of God? Um, second of all, does the book tell the truth about God as already known by previous revelation? In other words, as you go through the New Testament, there can be a lot of references to the Old Testament. You spoke of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see that Matthew particularly quotes a lot from the Old Testament prophets because his audience was to show the Jews that that Jesus is the King of Kings. Um, so those were um, books that um, were recognized by the early church fathers. Is the book authoritative? It was another um, way of of um, you know qualification. So th- there was a lot of thought that was put into it. So you have different things like the the um, the Epistle of Barnabas, for example, or there was, you know, the, the Gospel according to Thomas, and they felt, the early church leaders, that they didn't meet those requirements. So I, I believe what we have here in the canon of Scripture is the complete, you know, um, you know, inspired Word of God that is for us, and we can have confidence in that. Um, and so you can do, um, you know, you can, there's a good book for you, um, that will be a help to you, and that is um, uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. And James, it will help you kind of carefully how they put it all together. And then the other books that people get so focused on, The Gospel According to Thomas, um, it, it was not accepted as, in, you know, the uh, to be in the canon of Scripture. So um, that's kind of where uh, I for- leave it. For for that Go one, ahead. um, that uh, for the for the gospel of Thomas, I was just like listening to this, uh, you know, this guy talking about it. It's the first time I heard about it today. Um, he, you know, he had quoted like uh, in that gospel of Thomas that uh, Jesus had said some things, and um, so I can't take, yeah, I you know I I shouldn't take that literal uh, because it didn't uh, fit all the. Uh, qualifications to pass. Um, I mean, uh, I don't. Here, I don't know if what I'm here, trying to say on that. Yeah, I know what you're saying, James. Because sometimes we can hear people they'll quote from, you know, uh, the Gospel of Thomas said this, or even there was the Gospel according to Judas that was out there at one time um, that was gaining a lot of popularity, or the Epistle according to Barnabas, and they can be interesting to look at. But here's my advice to you, James. 
there is enough in the 66 books from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, focus on that. And you can trust in that, that you can trust, as Paul says, that all Scripture is inspired by God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, for reproof, to thoroughly equip every you know good work and, and the work that, that God desires to do through us. Listen, focus on what is in the Bible. And sometimes people, they want to get into, you know, all kinds of different things, the, you know, um, different books and uh, things like that. And, um, you know, the, even the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, they'll get into some of the writings of that and the Copper Scrolls and, and things like that. Just study the Bible and there's enough in there and promises for you that um, will be a blessing and benefit, and we can trust it. And we know that it's the inspired Word of God. It's the infallible Word of God. It is the um, you know complete Word of God that is given to us. So that's my advice to everyone that's out there, because sometimes we get so sidetracked with other things, and they can be interesting and stuff, but the promises that we have in Scripture are the promises that you can stand on. All right, James? Oh, I, I appreciate your time, Pastor. Can you give me that uh, book reference just one last time? Um, I didn't have a pin on me. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. It's, it's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. And, uh, and Josh so he McDowell. goes... McDowell. M-C-D-O, yeah, W-E-E-L-L. It's been around for a long time. He's uh, updated it. Uh, but that was a book that really helped me out learning about the canon of Scripture, the uniqueness of Scripture, how the Scripture was put together. And there's other references that are out there, um, but that's one that, you know, at the top of my head that I can think of. And we have it in our bookstore, and uh, somebody just bought it on Wednesday night. They were, um, you know, uh, grabbing that book, and and they were going to read it. And the reason that I like it is because it kind of reads as study notes, you know, that Josh McDowell made. So it's very, very informative, and I think it's going to be a big help to you. I really appreciate you guys. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I just... Uh... <laughs> yeah, people get really... <laughs> there's nothing wrong with being interested in, you know, the Gospel of Thomas, you know, these things, but, um, you know, make sure that you are just... There's enough in the Bible. People get into Bible codes, you know, James, they get all into that, trying to figure out what each word, you know, at this formula, at, you know, the oh, Bible absolutely. was made. Oh, absolutely. No, I, I've had a, I've had a, a good friend of mine. Uh, he used to go to the Church of God, and uh, they used to, uh, pre- I would say, preach uh, false, te- you know, false teachings. Uh, you know, like as far as uh, God has chosen people, and only a certain uh, amount of people get into heaven. And so, I mean, I, yeah. I had to get a, a out of a uh, cult, I think. Uh, because uh, they were misleading him and completely changed his life. Um, I only stick to the Bible because I—that's what I base everything off of. And, and when I was hearing those new uh, stories, it really—I uh, didn't, you know, I didn't dive into it. I just—I uh, don't know. It just uh, caught my attention, and that's why I wanted to ask you. I, you know, I just, yeah, yeah, that was yeah. On good me. question. Uh, yep, good question. Good question. Appreciate your call, James. All right, James. God bless you. Appreciate it. Good question. Hey, 303-690-3000. Still got some time in the show. I do want to go to TJ in Denver. TJ? Hi, <laughs> How, How are, are you? you? I'm good. How are you? 
I'm doing great, and I just love your show, and I love this station. You guys are really just such a uh, blessing, and I really appreciate all of you guys um, on Grace FM. Um, well, thank question, you. Yeah, my question is regarding regarding Revelation, and I know the Bible says like no man knows the, the day or the hour of you know when Christ is to return, but then I read or hear of a lot of stuff that's supposedly supposed to happen, um, you know, like there's like seven years of tribulation and um, the Antichrist is supposed to, um, I guess, take his position um, and, and demand that people worship him. And uh, I guess that there's just like a lot of other the abomination of desolation and things like that. And so I'm wondering, like, is there a lot of things that still have to happen before we even start to think about Christ coming back? Or is it really something where, like, in a twinkling of an eye, Christ could come back tomorrow? That kind of uh, thing. Great question. Great, great question, TJ, where there's a lot of confusion. When we talk about um, the Lord coming back, there's two distinct events that we need to keep in mind. One is called the rapture of the church. Paul talks about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses um, 16 and 17. And um, TJ, I'm going to read it to you. But um, he talks about a time where a generation of Christians are going to meet the Lord in the air. And he writes that, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and a dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's the Greek word harpazo, where we get the um, the uh, Latin word rapturus, uh, where we get our English word rapture. It means a sudden taken to, to uh, meet the Lord in the air. Thus we will always be with the Lord. I believe that's what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 14 when he says, that I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Paul talked about, you made reference to it, TJ, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that we shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye. The twinkle of an eye is the speed of light, so it's going to happen instantly. That is the rapture of the church when Jesus Christ comes for his church, and I believe that's where Jesus says that no one knows the day or the hour. He tells us to be the wise and faithful servant that's looking for the master's return because I come at a time that you do not know. That's one of the reasons I believe in what is called a pre-tribulation rapture. I believe that the Lord can come for us at any time, um, that he can come um, today, he can come tonight, he can come tomorrow, he can come next week. We do not know, and I emphasize, we do not know the day or the hour. But there is no prophecy, I believe, that has to take place for the rapture of the church when he comes for his church. Now, when it talks about the coming of the Lord, there's a second distinct event, and that takes place at the end of the tribulation period, and that is when Jesus Christ literally, physically comes back and he comes back with the church. We are going to be riding white horses according to Revelation chapter 19, and he's going to come back, touch down on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is going to heave in half according to the book of Zechariah, 
and then he's going to judge the nations. He's going to establish his kingdom. He's going to restore the nation of Israel. So that's the second coming of Jesus Christ. We know when the second coming of Jesus Christ is going to be. We know that it's at the end of the tribulation period. So when Jesus says, no one knows the hour that I come, he matter of fact, he said, I come when you least expect it. That is what we call the doctrine of imminent return, which I believe very strongly we see throughout the uh, New Testament, 27 books of the New Testament, 23 of those books speak of imminent return. The Lord's return is at hand. Paul said to you know, the church at Thessalonica, wait for his son in heaven. Um, we know that we are to be looking for him each and every day because we don't know the day or the hour, but he says, I come when you're least expected. So that's why I believe that the rapture is going to take place before the tribulation period. Um, the mid-tribulation period, there are those who believe that the rapture will take place in the middle of the tribulation period or two-thirds through the tribulation period. It's called pre-wrath or at the end called post-tribulation um, rapture. They are saved. There are brothers in Christ. We can have fellowship, but I just don't agree with them. And it just does not fit into what Jesus said when he said, I come when you're least expected. We are told repeatedly in the New Testament to be watching, to be waiting, to be uh, um, sober, to be vigilant, that he comes as a thief in the night, um, that there's some kind of normality. He said it's going to be like the days of Noah, the coming of the Son of Man in Luke's narrative. Um, it's going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. When the Lord's judgment came down upon Sodom and Gomorrah, um, they had no idea that it was going to happen. When Noah was put into the ark um, and the floods came, there was eight people that were right and a whole lot of people that were wrong, and they weren't expecting the judgment to come. And Jesus, he says something very interesting in Luke's gospel, and, and it's important for us to have this clear in our hearts and in our minds um, that there's two distinct events that are, are taking place. But he said, take heed to yourselves, and he had just been talking about the tribulation period, uh, the signs of the coming of the Son of Man, he said, Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, that that day, what day is that? The day of the Lord, which includes the tribulation period, come upon you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. That is a term for non-believers. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man." Now, sometimes people say, oh, you guys that believe in the pre-tribulation, you just want to escape, you want to stick your heads in the sand. Listen, Jesus just told us in Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, verse you know, uh, 36, that there's a way of escape, and I'll take it. I don't want to be here for the tribulation period. And he said, watch, therefore, and pray that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. What things? What he had just talked about, what's going to happen in the tribulation period that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. So that's kind of a long answer to your question, and hopefully oh, that helps out. Huh? Um, that, that, that's outstanding. You should just drop the mic right now, because that, that, <laughs> that made that made so much more sense. Like, I, I was thinking, like, all these things are supposed yeah. to happen once, but we're kind of talking about 
two different events. And yeah, um, yeah, thank you. That really, that really, really so TJ, makes sense. Yeah. Been so, well, my, so my, my cat carriers are ready, so I'm, I'm just like waiting. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Every day, I believe he wants us to be looking for him. And then John says something very important. He talks about when we see him, we will be like him, you know, when we see our Lord. And he says that he who has this hope purifies himself. And we as Christians, I believe the Lord wants us to be watching. That's a commandment. It's not a suggestion that we are to be looking for him. And if I live every day that perhaps, maybe, we don't know for sure, but my Lord, the one who died for me, who loves me so much, could come for me, because tomorrow isn't promised to to us, uh, any of us, Um, but he can come for the church. Maybe the Lord might come today and tomorrow. You're going to have a purifying effect on your life. You're going to be about the kingdom. You're not going to be, you know, doing carnal things and, you know, and and be weighed down with drunkenness and carousing and the cares of life that Jesus warned about. So be looking for him every single day. And I am. I can't wait for my Lord to come back. I'm praying that we're the generation that sees the rapture of the church, and I believe that we can. I believe that we are in the last days and that um, and that the Lord's coming is very nigh. The day or the hour, we don't know. Um, but uh, my Lord could come for me, and I am looking so forward for what Paul calls the blessed hope, looking for the return of the Lord, where my Lord Jesus is going to take me to be gathered to him and then to be with him. Um, in heaven, and then at that time, in Revelations 6, 6 through 18, is what's called the tribulation period, where God is pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world, and um, and then he will come back in the second coming. So when we are supposed to have our, you know, have our oil stored, our wicks trimmed for our lamps and things like that, what does that look like? Like, how do I know if my... I think I've got my will ready. I'm not sure. You know, like, yeah. what, what does that look like? What, what do you, you, what should I be doing? Be, be about the things of the Lord. Continue growing yeah. in the Lord, serving the Lord, being sensitive to the leading of the Lord. I believe the church needs to do that more than ever. I think there's a lot of distraction in the church today. I really do. There's a lot of focus today in the church today on the temporal. And, um, and the Lord is coming back, and we see the signs all around us. And it's like the storm clouds are gathering, and it's like, you know, the Lord is is saying to us, wake up. And that's why we're told repeatedly in the New Testament to watch. Listen, it's like a thief in the night. And it tells us that there are going to be those who are going to be caught off guard. And so be looking, be watching, be wise, be discerning. We need to continue in the Scriptures. We need to have discernment because he said— that there's going to be, um, you know, a lot of false teachers. That's one of the first mm-hmm. warnings that Jesus gave in the last days. And, um, and you know, he rebuked the religious leaders because they could discern the weather but not the coming of the Son of Man. And we need to be discerning in the days in which we are living in and that the Lord can come for us at any time. Will he come in my generation? I hope he does. There's, I don't know if he does. Um, but I know that he can. There's nothing that needs to be fulfilled prophetically for the rapture of the church to happen. 
All right. Thank you so much. Wow, that was really that was really helpful. Really appreciate it. You bet. You bet. Thanks for calling. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. You bet. Hey, we got a couple minutes. I don't know if we got time for Betty in Baltimore. So can we we got two Betty? I'm here. Hey Betty, I got two minutes. So real quick oh. question and I'll try to give you a real quick answer to it. Oh, I might have to call you back on this one. But anyway, <laughs> when the woman was hung on the cross and they pierced the side and the blood and water flowed down. Well, I saw this thing on YouTube that said, you know, the Ark of the Covenant Hello? was buried beneath them. Did you read, yeah. are you reading Ron Wyatt's YouTube and the Ark of the Covenant was underneath them and all of that? Listen, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to that. When they mm-hmm. put the spear up into Jesus and out came the blood and, and the water that flowed from his side, it, it confirms that Jesus was dead, uh, that right. his heart had ruptured, but I don't think it has anything to do with the Ark of the Covenant. I really don't. Um, we don't know where the Ark of the Covenant is. Um, and mm-hmm. to say that it it went through the ground and through the cracks and, and then it went on the Ark of the Covenant uh, there's mm-hmm. nothing in Scripture that indicates that. Uh, okay. I think that's far-fetched. Jesus did present his blood to the holy, te- uh, the heavenly sanctuary, you know, and it was accepted by the Father as we read the book of Hebrews. So that's where I would do, you okay. know, just, just take it with a grain of salt. Hey, thanks for calling. Thanks, everybody, for calling. Have a great weekend. Remember to go to church this weekend and be in fellowship with believers. God bless you. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.